Welcome to Allison's Wonderland. I'm your host, Allison Packard. Join us as we journey through the looking glass and down the rabbit hole into the wild and wonderful world of animation and video games. Hey, do a girl a favor and please subscribe to this podcast and go on iTunes and leave us a good review. If you like the show, please help spread the word. It really helps us to get heard by more people. Thanks so much. Hey guys, happy Wonderland Wednesday and um, welcome to another episode of Inside Allison's Wonderland. Starting to get into the groove of this whole Wednesday 6 p.m. thing. So I want to say thank you to everyone that's tuning in live. Hey, Carrie. Hey, Jeff. It's good to see you guys. We have a very special guest today. I'm really excited. Today, we're going to sit down with the game director and narrative co-lead on a brand new video game that just dropped today, The Outer Worlds Peril on Gorgon, which is the new DLC for The Outer Worlds, a award-winning video game by Obsidian that came out last year in 2019, and they just released a new DLC. So I'm really excited um, to have Carrie join us today. Carrie and I have never met in person, and she's obviously been working on this game for quite a long time. Yes, I guess that's something that I didn't mention is that I actually did one of the voices on the game. So that was really exciting. And Carrie has been, you know, working on this game probably quite a while, huh? Now you worked on the original Outer Worlds, right? Correct. Okay, so what was that process? I mean, it was it was exciting, and it was it was definitely I think it definitely helped transition into this role, having mm-hmm. worked on the base game as a senior narrative designer. You know, I was familiar with the content, um, familiar obviously with you know the style of our narrative, the lore, and the world, and that made it easier to understand you know what was going to be expected for DLC content and to give players more of what they really enjoyed in the outer, outer worlds and you know our story characters and you know dialogue were some of the most praised elements yes. so yeah yeah so that, you, that was you guys won a nebula award for writing we did, we did so how many years did you work on that game let's see i joined the outer worlds just before pillars of eternity to dead fire shipped so i believe that was around like april of 2018 and we shipped the Outer Worlds in October of 2019. And I, I rolled off of, the, you know, at the end, it's it's mostly mostly just a lot of bug fixing and polish stuff. And so I was working on the DLC a little bit just, just before that shipped. But yeah. Wow. So you guys are already prepping for that when the first thing is wrapping up. We try to. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's obviously more challenging to manage multiple teams and to have multiple content teams going on at once. But the nice thing about a game production process is as you get to the end and, you know, again, you're, you're, you do not have as much production work going on. You're not trying to build new things. You're really just trying to clean up the things you already have. It's easier to move people off of one project and onto something else. Mm-hmm. Now, a game like that, how many, how big is your team that's working on it? I mean, obviously, there's multiple components. How many people does it take to get a game like that off the ground? Ooh, I gotta think. So the team size fluctuates quite a bit over the course of development. I think on the base game, we had something like maybe a bit over 80 people, at the, maybe closer to 90 people at, at the peak. For the DLC... Wow. I think we had 35, maybe close to 40 at a certain point. But but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, usually you've got kind of the bulge in the middle. You you start lean with, a, you know, your pre-production team. You, you know, ramp up the most, you know, in the middle of production. And then again, once you get to the end, you start tapering off some more. 
So how do you come up with story ideas? Do you guys work as a team? We do, yeah. And, and that's one of the really fun things about, you know, working in games and it being so collaborative. You know, we knew from the base game that there were particular aspects of the lore that we sort of hinted at, we hadn't really delved into fully. And, and I think by the time we were really working on the DLC, we had a good idea of what kind of content, you know, players responded well to. And, you know, we know between flavor and tone and also just, you know, the style of more open-ended player-driven stories that allow players to, you know, try different things and, and really feel like they're they're pushing things forward. So I, I think you start with a lot of criteria for what you want to make and how you want to make it. And, and you go from there and, and see kind of what room you have to play in. That's fun. How did you get into the whole gaming industry? Is this something you always want to do? <laughs> Sort of. It's, you know, it's it's one of those things where I grew up enjoying video games and computer games. I also... Anything you know, in particular that you loved? You know, when I was young, I really liked the old Sierra adventure games like King's Quest and Quest for Glory. You know, you just, a lot of it was typing stuff into the, the text box, and, you know, and interacting mm -hmm. with the world that way. And it's very interesting to look back at the design of those games because they're very punishing in a way. It's very easy to to miss something that's important in a way that you don't necessarily know. And I feel like one thing, you know, we've, that I certainly see, you know, designers taking great care with nowadays is, you know, trying to be very, very fair and careful with the player so that you're not letting people back themselves into corners that they can't see, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, yeah. It does make sense to me because you don't want to trap someone down and end that there is no <laughs> recovery. Exactly, from. exactly. Or maybe you do. Maybe you're like a sadistic game. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I think you always, like, it is fun to surprise players, but I think players have a very finely tuned sense of fair. And, you know, I some, some games, I, I always admire games that manage to... I, I guess, challenge players in ways that remain fair. You know, mm -hmm. you, you, when you look back and you say, oh, I, I made a mistake here, but the signs were there. The game, the game taught me what to do, but, you know, in the moment I let this other instinct get the better of me. That's but so players cool. are very sophisticated about that now. And so did you study video games in school or...? I did not. I, let's see, I studied international relations, English, and Spanish in school. I, I worked at an accounting firm for a couple of years, and then I focused on my own writing for a couple of years. And I enjoyed, I, I enjoyed working on my own writing, but I did miss the collaborative aspect, you know, working, working with other people, working with a team. And so I honestly got very fortunate as to when I applied at Obsidian and, you know, the timing there is they were looking to hire for some someone for uh, the first Pillars of Eternity game. And I had a, a short story sample that I think stylistically was in line with what they were looking for in a writer. And yeah, I've, I've been here ever since. And so you have, for, for the, our viewers that don't know, you have a trilogy out, the Recoletta series. Am I pronouncing I that correctly? Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So it's it's sort of a, a speculative fiction, mystery, thriller type series. The first one is called The Buried Life, and it takes place in an underground city where the study of history is outlawed. And mm -hmm. it's, it, it's, I think the genre actually changes a little bit from one book to the next as the the situation the characters are in evolves. 
I know that sounds rather vague. I'm trying not to give too much away, though, for anyone who hasn't <laughs> picked it up. But yeah. yeah. And where can we pick it up? Anywhere books are sold. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local independent bookseller. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so you started with, did you always know that it was going to be a trilogy? Or did you start with one book and it just sort of became a trilogy? I started with one and had a vague idea of, well, this might be fun to write more. And then I remember when I when I submitted it to Angry Robot, who ended up publishing it, they, you know, they, they were looking at, I, I think, a revision or something. And they got back to me and they said, hey, you know, we like the full manuscript. Um, question, have you thought about <laughs> writing any sequels to this? And then it's like, well, the correct answer is yes. Yes, of course I have. <laughs> and they're like, oh, great. Well, can you send us the, you know, the outline? Sure. And then you write the outline. And then you write the outline. Yeah. <laughs> What amazing good fortune, though. I know, yeah. Especially, I wonder what your old bosses at the accounting firm were thinking when you like, peace, guys. <laughs> I, you know, I, I realized I was, I was very fortunate to have the support I did with my spouse and yeah. to be in a good position to be able to do that. But yeah, it was, you know, it, I realized it, the, the accounting firm just wasn't quite the right fit for me. And I was just very lucky to be able to move into something and try something that I yeah. liked a lot better. Do you have any advice for a young Carrie or another person out there that might be at that accounting firm and looking to segue or somebody young just starting out? Mm, I guess I, I would say don't like don't cut all those tethers immediately. Like I wrote for years, you know, while I was in school while I was, you know, working in accounting, basically, you know, before I said, let me just let me just take some time and try to really focus on that. And in a lot of ways, it was harder and more frustrating than I think I expected it to be. I think it's easy to expect, oh, well, if I can write this many words in like the time that I carve out right now, if I have this much more time, <laughs> you take that factor and I'll, I'll make that many more words. And it's, <laughs> it is not always the case. Structure is really important, you know, and, and in a lot of ways, like I was still writing when I went to, when I came over to Obsidian, I finished my second and third books while I was working here. And it was, you know, obviously finding the time for that was a challenge, but I do believe that having to develop that structure around my writing time was super helpful. That's so interesting. So yes, I'm just so curious now. You started as, you know, a co-lead and working on The Outer Worlds, and then you became the game director. Now, I, I'm just curious, how would you define your, and for those of you guys that are just joining in, we're, we're interviewing Carrie Patel, who is the game director and narrative co-lead on the new Outer Worlds Peril and Gorgon DLC that just dropped today. So I'm curious, just what does that entail? Because I know there's also like a director that directs the actors, but that's mm -hmm. different than the overall game director. So how does that, how, how do those jobs break down? So the game director is basically the creative vision holder for the project. You know, you're, you're partnered with the, an executive producer, basically. They're, they're the production side of project leadership. And you know, the game director decides, is sort of in charge of, you know, setting out what we're making. And the production director is in charge of, you know, figuring out how we're going to make it in time. You know, and they run the schedule and they, they help us understand the resources that we have so that we know 
what we can make and polish and deliver on. And it's actually a really awesome partnership. So, you know, it's, it's tricky because before I started doing this job, I think I was under the impression of like, oh man, but you know, I don't know when I would know enough about programming and art and writing and level design and audio and all these things because I just assume that like the game director has to know everything about everything. But yeah, of course that's not true because almost nobody in the industry has that breadth of experience in mm-hmm. so many discrete disciplines. So I think a lot about succeeding in the job is about some of it is delegation, but some of it is also understanding what you don't know, understanding how to ask the questions to mm-hmm. get what you need to know. And then like figuring out, what's the stuff I need to know to make a decision around this? And and let me get that information instead of assuming that I'm going to come out of this conversation with full knowledge of programming's pipelines. That's so interesting. Yeah. And so then I assume just the more you do it, the more your depth grows. So you already have this breadth of knowledge and then you become Mm -hmm. even deeper with that. That's amazing. That is one of the nice things about you know, starting in direction on a DLC is because, you know, there's a lot about the infrastructure and the architecture of your game that is already figured out and stuff that you don't, you don't have to reinvent the wheel on. Um, but yeah, there, there is so much already that just, you know, having gone through this one time, it's like, okay, I know in the future, you know, these are things to, these are things to do. These are things to ask about, things to look for. And yeah, a lot of it, like you said, you really just do get that by experience and practice. Hey guys, this is Allison Packard. Sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to let you know that if you like the show, please, please, please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get heard by more people. Thanks so much. Now, I, I see Overhyped Gamer. You don't, don't worry about looking at the comics if, if you need to. I'll keep an eye on them. But he said it's one of the best writing and stories he's ever experienced. So um, that's a huge compliment. For those people that um, have not downloaded the DLC yet, do you want to give them like a brief overview of what what happens in the story? Sure. So Parallel Gorgon is a noir-themed DLC for the Outer Worlds. It is set primarily on the Gorgon asteroid in Halcyon. And it you 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 get into it through an old friend of Alex Hawthorne's and you're sent on a journey to now shut down Spacer's Choice Research Facility where they were where Spacer's Choice was developing Adrena Time. And a, a wealthy heiress, played by you, Alison Packard, <laughs> basically wants you to help find closure around her mother, who was the lead researcher who was blamed for the project's failures. So it's it's a very personal story for the characters involved, but it's also a story about, you know, the setting of Halcyon and how certain things got to be the way they are. And how did you kind of, um, tonally, I feel like it's very unique and I love the space that you're living in. I'm curious how you kind of extended what was set with Outer Worlds in ter- terms of like sarcasm and, you know, that whole, mm-hmm. like, the, the comedy within sort of the, the unfolding of the story, how you balance that with the new DLC, which kind of has this more noir vibe. Yeah, so I, I think one thing there, so when we were when we were looking at, um, you know, kind of developing our story pitch for the DLC, one idea that came from uh, Kate Dollarhide, our other narrative co-lead on the project, was basically the idea of the Manhattan Project, and this idea of these very brilliant people who worked on something that is in many ways terrible, and then how they 
like what the what the aftermath of that is, you know, both personally and for the world that they live in. And so there was a lot there that just for us, I think, like tonally and stylistically synced very well with the outer worlds as, you know, a, a setting that's actually very dark, despite being despite having a lot of lighthearted humor, you know, the idea that corporate ambition is what drives, mm -hmm. you know, what drives most most things in Halcyon. In America? Oh, sorry, Halcyon. <laughs> <laughs> right? It, it, it does feel very different making this in 2020, but yeah. Yeah, and, and so there just, there seemed to be a lot of, a lot of overlap between those spaces. And as, as far as sort of the pulp noir, you know, one of the things that I think is very fun about the Outer Worlds aesthetically is the pulp sci-fi approach. And I think there are a few flavors of sort of pulp noir that intersect with that space just mm -hmm. enough so that I, I think we were able to hit, and also very much thanks to the excellent art direction of Matt Hansen, a really nice blend of something that meshes with the base game, but still feels a little bit stylistically distinct, which I think is a, a nice balance for a DLC to hit. Mm -hmm. And so to talk a little bit more about Matt and his design, what do you know about his process in approaching the new worlds and the new characters? So I know, you know, we, with, with it being a little more noir themed, we wanted to have a lot of fun with like, you know, light and shadow and kind of these strong contrasts in our areas. And Gorgon is an asteroid. It's, you know, like it's an asteroid. It's this canyon with these big dramatic walls and, you know, both, visually and tonally things there are very shady but then there are these very <laughs> bright vivid pockets of like you know this fungal cover grass that mm. that's very visually distinct in the overlands and you know the, the facades of the different spacers choice facilities you know very opulent and, and really stand out in the environment and so i think for for him one thing he said is exploring those contrasts was a good way to get you know to kind of develop some of those different ideas mm. Great. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people really resonated with, as um, Overhyped Gamer is saying, the characters and just you, you end up feeling empathy and uh, a strong connection to them as you're going through the game. And I think for those of you, the original Outer Worlds was the Nebula Award winner uh, for best writing in a video game in 2019, I believe. And you were also nominated for a WGA Award um, for best writing. So you're just like cleaning up. <laughs> That's amazing. Was and which for that was for which game? The w that was for Pillars of Eternity and Deadfire. Okay, cool. So now the statistics I was looking at, like some of the statistics of women that work in video games, and that what I was looking at is in development worldwide in 2019, it was about 25 percent. Mm -hmm. So does that ring true with what you have seen and experienced? It's it's hard to say. I mean, every every studio is a little bit different, mm -hmm. obviously. You know, I, I think I think more women are definitely finding opportunities in the industry right now. But certainly in my experience, there are more guys in the industry at this point. But, you know, I, I think we're getting I think we're getting more diverse, which is fantastic. And you also mentioned Kate, which was one of your co-writers, I believe, mm -hmm. yeah, and another woman on the project. So it seems it, it seems that Obsidian for sure is... Um, bringing, you know, diverse female voices and some different voices to the forefront. Have you faced any challenges in work, being a woman working in the video game industry? Personally, I've been very fortunate. You know, I, I know we're, we're having a reckoning with a lot of, a lot of stories of, of what some women in the industry have faced. I've been lucky to be very supported in my career, to have 
a very healthy work environment and to have, you know, the support of some really great mentors, you know, who treat me with a lot of professionalism and respect and have really encouraged me to grow my career here. Was there any mentors in particular early in your career that sort of changed the script for you? Let's see. Well, working on Pillars, I worked a lot with Eric Fenstermaker, who Mm -hmm. was the narrative lead on the first project, and with Josh Sawyer, the game director on both projects. And I have learned so much from the two of them and been incredibly empowered by both of them. Now, for anybody that, for anyone that's just tuning in, we're with Carrie Patel. She's the, uh, (laughs) you never know who's just jumping in. She's the game director and narrative co-lead on the new Outer World. And look, the Outer World's just commented that it feels nostalgic and comfortable to be back for the game. I think that's the Outer Worlds fan page, I believe. So yeah, thanks for tuning in. Now for anybody that is curious, maybe tuning in for the first time and doesn't have the Outer Worlds, can they access the DLC or they they, they buy the original game and then purchase the DLC? How does that work? You do have to buy the original game. The The DLC is not a standalone. It's content that you access through the main game. And for anyone who has played, you can start at any time between the, the end of the Monarch Critical Path, uh, the end of Radio Free Monarch, and then your point of no return save that's generated at the very end of the, the base game. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, and then what platforms is it available on today? Xbox, PC, and PlayStation. Somebody's asking if there'll be a version of the game for PS5? I don't really know. I, 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 I'm not DVD. part of the, any next-gen discussions, unfortunately. And uh, is it going to be coming to Nintendo Switch, too? Yes, it will be. Okay. Cool. Um, And so for our listeners that are looking to connect with you personally, I know you're not super active on Instagram. How can they kind of follow, follow up about your writing and, you know, everything that you have going on in your world? The best way would be on Twitter. I'm at Carrie underscore Patel. Okay. And is that just the regular spelling? Okay. P-A-T-E. Yes. Yes. No, no three in my name as I had for Instagram. <laughs> so is there anything else about the game that you would like to share? I mean, I, I'm, I'm really excited for players to discover it for themselves. I know we put a lot of, you know, a lot of heart into to what we made. I think there's a lot of fun, a lot of humor, a really exciting new world in Gorgon, and just a lot of attention to the details in the visual storytelling and in the way that we try to to build our characters and their story through, you know, a lot of the side and found content. And there are some, there is one particular uh, hidden path through the game that players who try to color outside the lines a little bit may discover. I'm super proud of it really embraces the kind of player freedom that we try to offer with our, with our RPGs. But I, I don't want to spoil that. I, I want people to discover that for themselves. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> you might know um, what I mean, though. Yeah. I might, but mm-hmm. I would never say. And so moving forward, then, do you just go on vacation? I mean, not that we can really go too many places, but are you already rolling in or are you continuing to work on the Outer Worlds from this point on as we patch forward? So next week, I'm, work- I'm going on vacation. Yeah, the first vacation I've taken like outside of the you know holidays since quarantine just planning to you know stay local maybe do some hikes just you know simple simple isolated things like that and then yeah after that I'll be helping out with the second DLC which will be coming a little bit later yeah that's exciting is there anything Mm -hmm. you can tell us about that nope (laughs) 
you know, we, we one step at a time, guys. <laughs> right? <laughs> one yeah. step at a time. Well, that's very exciting. Does anyone that's tuning in right now have any specific questions for Carrie or about the game that maybe she can answer, but potentially not? We've already taken that. Um, the question about PS5. Does anybody else have any? I'm just a little, I'm curious. So your average day, what does mm -hmm. your average day look like? You know, it changes a ton from one phase of production to the next. And, you know, I like, I, I look at, you know, my days these last few weeks, and then I think back to, you know, what the day looked like even, you know, two months ago, and it's night and day. You know, when I'm, when I'm wearing my narrative designer hat, it's a lot of, you know, reviewing story and lore documents or writing those things. Let's see, a, a lot of writing character dialogue, testing and playing in game to make sure that we're telling. And then, you know, direction, it's a lot of, you know, reviewing the content that's going in all across the game. A lot of meetings to, you know, keep up with the various developers and departments that are working on the content, make sure everybody's on the same page, you know, make sure that I know where the content is at any given time. Yeah, it's, it's definitely exciting. I think definitely more so than any other role I've been in with direction. Every day feels different because, you know, you're really, a lot of it is solving problems. And so, you know, you spend your time on whatever needs to be accomplished right then. Is it very stressful? It can be, yeah. <laughs> it it's, it's stressful and exciting, huh. you know, because again, on, on some level, you're responsible for things that you are not necessarily an expert in definitely things you're not an expert in but you have to figure out how to gain enough familiarity with the underlying problem to help make good decisions it's also it's interesting to have a career where you really have a completion and you have an end date you have a launch date and then mm -hmm. it's out there i mean yeah that's so exciting but so much of your you know your work and life energy has gone into this project and now here it mm -hmm. is. Today's your day. Congratulations, mm -hmm. by the way. <laughs> thank you. Um, and congratulations to you. Thank you. Um, Richard Anthony Granger was wondering if you had any personal inspirations for Parallel Gorgon. You know, again, I, I think I, I think the idea of sort of this we wanted to to play with the idea of pulp noir, but not take it in like the you know lowercase c cyberpunk direction just you know wanted to to find something that had sort of a more old school pulpy feel that seemed in sync with the outer worlds and again i think kate's you know more narrative inspiration around the manhattan project mm -hmm. and telling a story of complex characters and their regrets or lack thereof mm -hmm. I, I think was really interesting to me great and then another question was asking, and this is a really good question, how is, what are the challenges of working in the current situation with quarantine and not being able to go into the office? Oh, nice. Yeah, that changed a ton for us. Yeah, we went, we went home for quarantine, I think like the second week in March, maybe, which was, you know, Man, it feels like such a long time ago. We done we've been working a ton in the office, but we have done more of our production, like more of our development process for Gorgon has taken place at home than it did at the office, which is kind of to think about. It definitely meant that we all had to a lot more proactive about communicating. So I think in a lot of ways, it definitely, you know, improved our communication habits, you know, because you you knew you had to go out of your way to make sure to stop with people. I mean, the downside of the most part our mornings would be just full of quick sync meetings so it is it would be hard to just focus and get something done but on the other hand i think 
you know, again, especially with everyone in the office being split up now, we managed to to stay connected very well. You know, we took our work PC, most of us took our work PCs home. Some mm-hmm. people would VPN in if they had a, a machine that could do what they needed to do. Got webcams and headsets so that we can, you know, talk like this on a regular basis multiple times a day. But yeah, it's, it is it is really impressive how much the team was able to stay on track despite the setback. And and I think the studio has been very supportive too with, with in terms of, you know, helping us get the equipment we need to be effective from home and also just making time and space for people to, you know, attend to sick family members, you know, take care of their own business, you know, childcare, family needs, anything else like that. Absolutely. Wow. Well, it really takes a village as mm-hmm. they say. Great. Well, Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you for having me. I'm really impressed and congratulations. So thank you so much. I'm excited to see um, the next DLC too, but I can't wait to see this one mm-hmm. first. So let me know if you need anything, guys. A collector's edition. One suggestion for Outer Worlds to make a collector's edition for fans. wrap it in gold, I don't know, maybe <laughs> include include a bit of space rock with it. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much. I'll post this broadcast so that you can go back if you missed um, the beginning and, and access it at any time. And thank you so much, Carrie, for coming and chatting with us. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Okay, you too. bye. Thanks for tuning in to Allison's Wonderland, where we explore the wild and wonderful world of animation and video games. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a review. For more episodes of Allison's Wonderland, please visit us at www.allisonpacker.com. See you next week.